Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Late Night Rentals. I'm your host, Brandon. Join with me, as always, is my co-host and good friend, Ryan. Ryan, you doing well this evening? I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty good. I've got a question for you, as always. Go ahead. Would you be willing to become mortal enemies with your calculus teacher if he had a hot, sexy wife? Oh, I would gladly get punched in the eyeball for a a night with Tia Carrera. Good answer. Good answer. All right, everyone, whip out those membership cards and start bitching about those late fees. Tonight, we're renting my teacher's wife. Calculus is not for wimps. You're going down in flames. See me at the class. Todd Boomer has got a few problems. Ready. What? I thought they wanted us to use condoms. No, I mean, I pulled it out too early. There's a time limit? But his luck is about to change. Hi, you need some help? You guys cool? To make the grade, he's going to need help. Math degree, University of Vermont. Whatever it is you're selling, I'll buy or give generously to. I'm Todd's tutor, Vicky. He falls for a beauty. Does uh, she know anything about calculus, or are you just going to take the 50 bucks an hour and have a party? Oh, that's my meat. My meatloaf. With a mind for math. What equation represents its momentum? Three-fifths times the integral of A. And a figure he'd like to count on. And the wind back in your sails. Thanks for your help. The answers to your math final are hidden on my body. Yes! You just slept with somebody's wife! Honey! Oh! Hi! Oh, oh my, my god. god! Now, to survive the course, he may need to recalculate his life. How could you marry Mueller? Do you have something you want to tell me? I can't believe you actually thought you could get tutored by my wife and I wouldn't find out. How could you not tell me? Fear motivates. Enough. Tia Carrera, Christopher McDonald, Jason London, and Jeffrey Tambor, my teacher's wife. I slept with someone's wife, and now I'm afraid he might find me and kill me. I thought you said you had a problem. Take my tutor, take the exact same idea, put it into my teacher's wife, but make it less sleazy and a tad boring. And then you got my teacher's wife. Don't forget all the mid-90s angst, independent film. Oh, my God. It was... it was bleeding that, wasn't it? It was like oozing out of the TV. It was so bad. Oh, yeah. No, that was all I could think of watching. is like, this movie is a product of its time. And it. The, when we talk about time capsule films, this is one of those time capsule films. Like, it has all the trappings of, like, the things people make fun of. Uh, of of all the trappings from an era that people would make fun of, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later. Absolutely. And it's one of those things, too. It's filmed in 1999. So it's here's something I've noticed with 99 movies as well as 2000. It's that weird threshold of, you know, still trying to uh, encapsulate what the 90s were, but trying to be hip and new and edgy to get merging way into the new century. And it, it, it almost feels like the movie itself is trapped in that sort of barrier. And it's kind of lost its identity, I think, too. That was, there were many things where I just I couldn't find anything not only to remember about it, but very hard for it to stand out amongst other movies that were coming out at the time. This movie was made, I know it was released near the end of the, the century. But I could have sworn, I thought it was like made in the mid-90s. Or were you aware of okay. this movie before we watched it? 
Yeah, I've seen this movie before. Um, oh, they played okay. it on. Yeah, like uh, same thing with my tutor. Um, this was one of the movies they showed on Showtime on like a loop when uh, I might have been 10 or 11 or something like that. So I, I have seen this movie before. So here's the, here's the bit of trivia from the Internet Movie Database. The film was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, with a planned theatrical release under the name of Learning Curves in February 1995. But the financial collapse of Savoy Pictures left the movie orphaned until Trimark Pictures acquired it, retitled it as My Teacher's Wife, and released it directly to VHS and DVD. Which uh, actually brings up a good point. There's a twist, right? It's it, Well, there's a moment in the movie when... Uh, What's the main character's name? Is it Preston? All I, know, all I remember was his last name, Boomer. Boomer. So when, when Boomer and his best friend, Faber, um, discover that the hot older lady who's teaching Boomer calculus is in fact their, their dickhead calculus teacher's wife, it's presented like this big twist because you have their reaction and you have the setup for it and you even have the music that is like, you know, it's not like dun dun dun, dun but it's, you know, in the same vein. But the movie's called My Teacher's Wife. And there is a unnecessary, a completely unnecessary scene where she comes home in the middle of the night and he's just waiting there for her in the shadows, turns on the light and says, where have you been? And she goes, I, just out. And that's the end of the scene. So obviously that was put in there after the fact. But if... If uh, they would have just released, if they would have kept it as learning curves, I think it would have been a lot better. So how butchered do you think this movie was in terms of if it was at once intended to be learning curves and then sat on the shelf, essentially collecting dust for four years? You think that moment with Christopher McDonald when he's sitting in the shed, that was all like, what do you, was that all like shot separately, you think? And then like put back in to try to make a cleaner movie? I see. I would have to believe that. I mean, this this feels like one of those mid '90s like Sundance coming of age films. Something like uh, maybe not as offbeat or off kilter as like Spanking the Monkey, but they have like similar st- structures to them. I guess. Like, I figured if it gets released in the late '90s, where this type of movie isn't exactly the big selling point like the big sellers anymore they would probably try to tamp that down more so than anything but if you want to if you want to make your movie stand out you know give it kind of a porno name like my teacher's wife you're going to get a lot of teenage boys picking that thing up at the at the video store and then being disappointed when you only get one shot of brief nudity and I'm pretty sure those aren't Tia Carrera's bare breasts. Now, I'm no expert on Tia Carrera's bare breasts, but I don't feel like those were her bare breasts. Well, here's a surprise to you. They're not. I, me, and <laughs> Sh- uh, my, uh, me and Shariah, we were, we were wondering about that. And then when I looked it up, come to find out it was a body double. But... Uh, I mean, still nice tits. They were great. I'm not yeah. going to deny that. But I was you know, looking forward to the, the, you know, the whole Carrera. See, and now it makes me wonder. I'm going to have to go back because she's also in the uh, Oscar-winning movie Showdown in Little Tokyo. She gets naked in a hot tub with old Dolph Lundgren in that. And I'm trying to remember if that's actually her or if it's shot in a certain angle that's also her body double. I'm going to have to go back to that one. Yeah, I feel like there's the, the whole, like, a lot of the things that you would want to, because that if you follow along the story and you're actually into the movie 
by the time you get to the point where you discover that it's the calculus teacher's wife, that would have a big impact on the story going going forward. But like you know it from the beginning, so the whole like I don't want to say suspense of the third act, but a lot of the overarching feeling that you you know that you get when you're watching it is kind of moot. Right. I don't know if you've noticed this with the the four movies that we've put in already, but there seems all of them that we watched seem to have sort of a lack of just a, a foundation villain like Paul Gleason. And then here with this, because Chris McDonald plays an awesome asshole, like pretty much almost every movie I've ever seen him in, he's an asshole. And it's one of those moments again where, I mean, we know he's a dick. We know he's a bad husband and a horrible teacher, but they the movie only seems to want to just showcase him when it feels it needs to instead of letting him be the overall crux of what they need to take down much like again with paul gleason no i, I totally agree i feel like i mean i feel like he's an asshole but i feel bad for him like he i i boomer i did not like as a character oh me neither at all and i feel like cuz he is dating kirsten kristen i can't remember her name um the the redhead girl they're dating and she turns him down for sex and that same night that's when they meet tia carrera's character vicky yeah vicky and he immediately tries to pursue her to get in her pants and that's like just because his girlfriend wouldn't wouldn't give him like you know it's just you're not going to create a character that at least I'm going to root for if your whole driving thing is, oh, like the coming of age aspect is, oh, he he wanted to get laid. Especially since, too, you know, there are so many moments because uh, the one aspect that they want to try to make you care for is the fact that he's being pressured by his father, played by uh, Jeffrey Tambor, and trying to pressure him to go to Harvard. And it's revealed that he's uh, an excellent cartoonist. And that's you're right. That's where a moment it's a moment like that that ruins the overall idea of what him as a character could be, especially since we could be rooting for him to be like, no, like stand up to your father, stand up for wanting to go to art school. But when that actually finally gets revealed, again, I don't give a shit because where you started, you're kind of a sleaze and I don't care about your goals anymore. And like the thing is, there's no like he gets punched in the face by by the husband. But like at the end of it, his girlfriend is still his friend. The best friend that he almost beat up is still his best friend. He's not going to Harvard, which is what he wanted. You know, I'm really going to miss this spot when we're off at school. Yeah, me too. I wonder where we'll be in 10 years. Well, you will be working on your second hundred million on interactive 3D smell-o-vision computer games. <laughs> the shed will be totally decked out with jacuzzi and a water slide. Okay, and me? Okay, the place, New York, the event, the book signing of your first wildly successful collection of poetry. Wildly successful. I like that. What about me? Do you want fries with your order today, sir? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 2008, we all meet back here and compare notes. What do you say? Never, Never happens. happens. Guys, come on, work with me. <laughs>
it's just like what what did he learn right what did he learn there is zero arc and that's another theme that we've come across these four movies (laughs) no none of these mcs in these movies grow man like this is who they are on minute one and this is who they are on minute 90 it's insane to me i know and like i feel i mean again not to harp on it too much but i feel like if this would have came out in the like in 95 or 96 because it was shot in 95 it probably would have been better received right because that was like the big thing where you have like the middle class white boy learning about himself but like there's no negative consequences for his actions exactly absolutely and did how did you feel overall about the character favor like i that was the one i think he was pretty much the only one i really felt a connection with he was the only one i cared about uh, uh, him favor and the father i really like how the father is written because like the father wants a specific thing he's pushy but he's not overly like you're, you know, this is what you're going to do. He's like, this is, you know, he's like, this is our plan. Because they live outside of Boston. So Harvard is like the goal for their entire, like their community, I guess, would be like that would like we had, you know, I don't know where you, but like uh, where I'm from, Ohio State was where, now it's not super hard to get into Ohio State, but that was like, <laughs> every time it was like the school, it was always Ohio State. So where they are, Harvard is the school. Um, you might have been in a UF University right. of Florida. That might have been the school. But when his father, like, they have heart to hearts and stuff, and his dad is, he, he, you know, he keeps mentioning Harvard, and you know, they do the practice interview, and what? But when like, when Boomer kind of is a smart ass to him, he doesn't get mad. He's like, okay, all right, you're my son. That's you know, you're growing, you're learning, maturing. Um, and even when he tells his dad he doesn't go to Harvard anymore, his dad's upset, but he's not like yelling at him. He's like, hey, it's your life. I don't really know how to tell you guys this. You don't want to go to Harvard, do you? No. No. I was uh, thinking about applying to an art school. Can I can I ask you a question? Just, um, why didn't you tell me about this before? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me last night? I don't think I really knew until today. You're upset. Yeah. I am. I am upset. A little. It's your decision. I don't know. I don't normally see that in a whole lot of movies that I watch, so I thought it was refreshing. But uh, Faber, I never liked Zach Worth. Um, for the movies I can, I've, I can remember him in, like Loser, and even Wet Hot American Summer, I just no, I, I just found him off-putting. But as Faber, he's not bad. Like he's not a great actor in the role, and I do think that Faber is kind of a like he's presented as kind of too much of a loser. But um, I did actually, I really like the scene where he tries to ask out Kirsten when he says, "I want to talk about us," and she's like, "Is there an us?" and all that makes right. her seem like a bitch. But, you know, the way they play it, I actually, uh, uh, I enjoyed that sequence. I mean, it's, if anything, too, on her end, it's, I like the way it's handled and shot uh, between them. Because on her end, and her perspective, uh, I mean, there's an air of honesty behind it. I mean, 
you know, so, you know how so many movies have, you know, this one character, like, typically always nerdy or the loser, the down and out character that's just swooning over a particular close friend. And when they get turned down, it often turns into, you know, borderline, sometimes borderline ickiness. Uh, but here, uh, Faber accepts it. He's like, okay, you know, it's never, he never retaliates or gets upset with her about it either. And I like that. That's real life. Um, yeah, he's not, a, he's not a nice guy about it. Right. And uh, go back to uh, Boomer's father, Jeffrey Tambor. I also, one of the things I did like about him was he actually had an appreciation for his cartoons. And I, I feel like that would have been something easy. In any other movie, I feel like that would have been an easy way to make the father even more of an asshole is to be like, why are you drawing this bullshit? This is kid stuff. You have the scene where he runs, like they're arguing in the bedroom and the dad just rips everything off the wall. Off the wall. <laughs> this is why your mother left us. <laughs> the wrong kid dad i didn't put that down on my notes i for, I, I totally forgot about those little moments with his father but yeah absolutely those two characters are the more well-rounded written of, of everyone else i have a question for you though it's when i was i was not expecting the animated bits and it got me thinking about an era where for some reason being a down and out cartoonist was a thing because you got like this, there's Monkey Bone, there's Tomcats, if you have ever seen that movie. Um, I've seen both of those. There's Chasing Amy. Yeah, One Crazy Summer. I don't Have you seen that with John Cusack? No. He's another cartoonist, and there's a Tales from the Crypt episode I can remember from season, I don't remember the title, but from season two, I believe. But he's also a down-and-out cartoonist, but uh, the, the horror bit of that episode is that his cartoon characters come to life and get revenge on the people that tell him he sucks. Oh hey, there's uh, was um, uh, blah, blah, blah. don't be afraid of the dark. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the ghastly grinner. <laughs> I wonder what the uh, the fascination was about having down and out cartoonists being was in these movies. Was there a comic book resurgence in the early 90s, like late 80s? Because I remember, because was it, is it Chris Claremont? Was that when he had like the X-Men revival in the early 90s? Oh, you might be right. And I guess there's, wasn't that also um, like Todd McFarlane was, you know, with Spawn and everything. I guess that was probably when he was making sort of a, a name for himself around that time too, wasn't he? It's just like uh, comic books had this resurgence. And so maybe they thought like... They could not necessarily piggyback on there, but like, this is real world, man. This is what the nerds are into. <laughs> Especially since you mentioned, too, like this movie has a very independent feel. I, I almost feel, too, this was uh, this movie has, for some reason, the entire time I was watching it, it had a very strong Merrimax feel to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was trying to piggyback off of that. Now, now that you say that, like you put a name to it. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> like, it, it's got, like, I know Goodwill Hunting came after, but it's got sort of that, like, the more saccharine moments of Goodwill Hunting have this, have the feeling you get for a lot of this movie. I guess it, it, one of the, I think the thing that I, I was, a, that upset me the most with the movie, and I, I use the word upset loosely. It's, I don't, it takes a lot to get me pissed off with a movie, but I think with this, since it was rated R, I, I that was confusing to me, especially since the movie felt afraid to really do anything. 
Yeah, I think it's probably rated R just because the the tits and the sexual, like the I guess the sexual relationship between a minor and an adult. But yeah, like there's there's very little violence. I think cursing is very minimal. I don't. Does it say fuck? They probably say fuck a couple times, but like, yeah, I'll say like this is a very tame R-rated movie. Absolutely, and that's it. Was one of those things where I was just like I I think because my tutor was so. Even not saying it was a good movie, but it was so entertaining, at least, that when I pushed play for my teacher's wife, I was, I guess I was expecting the same. But then about 30 minutes in, I was like, oh, it's one of these movies. (laughs) 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 Did you get that feeling when he's sitting on the edge of the reservoir and that, like, I don't even know what it is. It's got the columns sitting uh, next to him and he's drawing a... a, uh one of his comics and there's there's the pretty girl across the way screaming in the into the distance yeah it, it's i think it too it's just the tone like even within the first 10 minutes like the tone will tell you immediately what you're getting into and there were so many moments where you think it was going to get a little risque and that's when i perked up i was like okay all right cool we're gonna get some sleaze we're gonna get some sleaze and then it either just fades away and cuts away and i'm just like oh you sons of bitches yeah I, like there's a party scene and they don't really do it like uh, it's probably the third or fourth scene in the movie. You got this big party scene, but they don't do anything with it. They just like they're there. Uh, they make a joke where Faber can't talk to women and then they leave. Yeah. And you I, don't really get that like teenage because I mean, I don't know how it's set up because they don't go into it. But I, I thought that the main characters were popular kids. I don't, I, I, that's just the way they presented themselves. Like I know Faber is kind of the like the kind of loser character. He's the chubby kid, but he like he's everyone like when he goes to the party, people want to talk to him when yeah. he's um like he's I don't know if it's gym class or what have you, but like. When they're when they're playing soccer, it's not like people are making fun of him. They want him to actively, you know, be the goalie and stuff. And so I never took it as like they were the unpopular kids who just, you know, kind of went around and did their own thing. I took it as like they were part of the preppy club, you know. Right. That's a good point. I I was actually just about to mention the soccer scene. That would have been another opportunity. Actually, any other movie would have had Faber made fun of, or there would have been some weird hijink. Probably, uh, you know, a sexual slur about his, you know, masculinity would have probably been thrown his way too. And he probably, that's what, early 2000s, like the National Lampoon shit when it started coming out. That's probably, if this movie was part of the National Lampoon lineup, Faber would have been, he would have been the easy joke. Every scene, he probably would have had something he was eating. He talks through like like there's there'll, there'll be a scene where he's just pounding down a jar of pudding and every time he talks he just kind of spits pudding on everyone. So it's a visual representation of all the shit coming out of his mouth, Brandon. Oh, you know I never I'm going to have to go back to a lot of those National Lampoon movies though. No, they're secretly genius, aren't they? <laughs> Most of them are trash. I think one of the things too I wanted to mention was uh, I know I said it mentioned it briefly about christopher mcdonald's character again man he's he's a character actor i love when you give this man the role that he's meant to be and that's an asshole and ah it's i wanted so much more and and i didn't get more chris mcdonald no i can i can see that he i mean he is i wouldn't say like 
fantastic in every movie he's in, but he's generally pretty good. Like he's in, um, oh man, one of the American Pie direct-to-video movies. I want to say it's The Naked Mile. It's whatever the first college set one is. Okay. And he plays the main character's dad, and he's his entire dialogue revolves around telling his son like sexual stuff. Um, but he he delivers it like with such a straight face. Like he'll he'll go from like being, you know, nice to his son to talking about like getting his dick sucked, to then talking about this you know one of the hot college girls he saw, all in like the span of you know two lines or so. And he just delivers him so well. Like he there's this air of just being an asshole that he just naturally can exude through his characters, um, through his performance and. It's yeah, he's really great. His have do you remember him from Requiem for a Dream? Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the TV host guy. Yeah, like that game show host. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Like high energy. Like I man, if I if if he was a method actor, he he was probably just down in the cocaine. He's fantastic in that role. Uh not to mention probably one of his most notorious roles that I one of the first movies I ever saw him in was Happy Gilmore. Shooter McGavin. Yeah. And I find it even more funny too that uh, have you ever you've seen Thelma and Louise, right? Mm-hmm. Gina Davis, uh, she's Thelma. Uh, he plays an abusive husband in that too. He gets yeah, he's the one that gets shot, right? Yeah, yeah. He's not in a whole lot anymore, I don't think. Right? I don't. I can't remember the last like movie I saw him in. Uh if anything, it, it might. He's probably one of those like, man. I hate to say that he's probably in a lot of directed video stuff. Or he's one of the Eric Roberts types. Uh, probably not as low, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's he was always uh, he's always one of those character actors that I loved. And whenever I, if I ever discovered a new movie and I saw his name in the credits, it all, I always got a little bit more excited. Especially like, well, one of my favorite animated movies ever is The Iron Giant. He's uh, Kent Mansley. He does the voice for Kent Mansley in that. And that was another one where I was like, oh, my God. So he, this guy can do voices as well. Like he's he can be an asshole as a cartoon. That's awesome. Yeah. Looking looking through his IMDb, he's in he doesn't it seems like he's doing a lot of guest spots on TV shows and like a lot of direct streaming stuff. He's great. He needs he, he should get more prominent, prominent roles. I think especially especially after she, like people who are our age or, you know, they're they're now. Like a lot of the, the directors that are up and comers are, you know, in like 25 to 35. And that's about our age. We're in the middle of that. And those those people would have grown up with Happy Gilmore and the whole Adam Sandler stuff. So, like, you know, they should have a soft spot for for Shooter McGavin. Right. Absolutely. I've always thought, too, I, it always bummed me out that he wasn't a more household name. Like, you know, it's. I always felt the same way with like Billy Zane, especially after his role in Titanic. I was like, oh man, this guy's going to start becoming more of a household <laughs> name. But nope. <laughs> was the Phantom before or after Titanic? Uh, shit, I don't know, to be honest. So maybe, maybe it was the Phantom. Maybe the Phantom was what did him in. <laughs> I like, Billy Zane, you're not a leading, you're not a leading action hero. You're supposed to be in romantic comedies. What are you doing? We broke down all the other characters. Let's talk about Vicky, right? That's okay. the object of desire for for Boomer, for our main character. I feel like his first name's Preston. He just looks like a Preston. But like, how how do you feel she's presented? 
as do you think it, she has a character to her? Do you think she's sympathetic? Do you feel like she might just be an idealiza- like idealization of uh, what an older woman is? I think the safe answer to that is probably a mixture of both uh, idealization and sympathetic. I think more idealization because just uh, everything that we see about her is just through Boomer's eyes, really. Whereas the brief moments that we ever get between her and Chris McDonald, I feel that's where the movie lacks, is we don't have any, we should have sympathy for this woman, but we're not given those moments. She ends up telling us more about the abusive relationship, more than it being shown. Not particularly that I want to see abuse on uh, on her as a character or just in a movie in general, but I feel like that whole sort of dynamic between her and Chris McDonald could have been a lot more stronger if we were given at least a f- two or three more scenes of him being just a complete monster to her then I would have understood where she's coming from and at least to a degree understand more as to why she's attracted to Boomer or at least needs to fill that loveless void you said that um she spends a lot of time telling us like how how poor their her marriage is going and actually that's one of the major problems i had with the movie because when i talked about how like they have the scene where she comes in the middle of the night and he's just waiting for her, um and that kind of ruins the twist that sort of stuff where her she's talking about the relationship and it's it's expository but that's fine because i feel like that was all supposed to play into the twist where you realize oh her dickhead husband is the dickhead teacher it's right. like where worlds are meeting and your mind's supposed to be blown. And I feel like the 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 distributors probably ruined a lot of aspects of this movie. I agree with you completely on on it. I don't like I don't feel sorry for her. I don't feel like her taking advantage of a child is warranted, but it is I guess it's understood because she has lacked of someone being attracted to her, or at least showing her a, a form of affection. Exactly. And I, you know, to go back to what you said about the twist, I think what would have, you know, a, a simple little creative choice you they could have easily done to really enhance that reveal and make it surprising for us as well as the characters. Why not all the moments where, like, when she comes home, like, I mean, it, it might sound goofy on the surface, but like when she comes home and sees her husband where you see Chris McDonald sitting, why don't you just keep him silhouetted or, you know, just keep him maybe off off screen where you're just hearing his like mean domineering voice or if you ever do see him you're just seeing the silhouette of his presence that way too i think that would have actually made the reveal more surprising to me because then you know i would have his asshole nature as a calculus teacher all the things he does to the students i would have probably started piecing the uh putting the pieces together myself thinking wait i wonder are they could they be the same character all right just close your textbooks Ladies and gentlemen, calculus is not for wimps. 28% of you did not pass the midterm. Mr. Tafio, shake the dust out of your skull. Mr. Buchanan, I've seen squirrels score higher on tests. <laughs> True story. Mr. Faber, knock it off. You're making everybody look bad. Mr. Boomer. You were flying high. Did you hit an air pocket? Excuse me, Mr. Mueller? Did you fall asleep at the controls? Is there terrorism involved? You're going down in flames. See me at the bless. Don't forget, have your parents 
Turn them to me. You know the drill. Have a nice day. I would have already been playing that game, and then when the reveal happened, I would have been like, oh, I was right. And that would have been more exciting, I think. No, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Like, I, I would have been, if you played his voice, if you heard him talk, I think it would have worked against it. But if it's just, like, silhouetted, um, or, like, you just hear, like, indistinct shouting, how they present it, I feel, undermines, not, like, the main point of the movie, but, like, part of the plot. You know, I, with her being sort of an artist as well, I can see you know what they were trying to do with making her and boomer's relationship sort of spark well they do have that scene um right before like the right before their first kiss because um boomer is telling her like you need to show you should show people this you should you should show people what oh, you do right. like there's there's never a point where she's like you're good you should become an artist you should make cartoons for the rest of your life but like he does he does give her support and like that's when, and I, I thought this was like it's cute where she makes like the little uh, metal cutout of the the bony D, which is the main character of his comic strip. And then like the next scene when they're playing with ice cream in her house, which is also strange because he kisses her to thank her, and then like he he goes, oh no, like oh I shouldn't have done that, and then she goes, we probably shouldn't do that. And like the very next scene, they're inside her house and they're like rubbing ice cream on each other's faces. Oh, so you're gonna play like that now, are you? No, you're not. Mm -hmm. no, you're not. Oh, you did. Oh, well, dog. Hey, I got an idea. Case stays No. Down. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm turning you into your alter ego, Boney D. Oh man. Okay. Now bark. Bark. Ruff. No. Come on, a big deep bark. <laughs> She's sending very mixed signals at yeah, this point. Yeah. But like the thing that really got me is the very so he kisses her to thank her for the little metal thing little metal emblem and then the very next scene or the next shot when they're in her house he's wearing it in a, like as an earring and he doesn't wear earrings at any other part in the movie so they would have had to have pierced his ear right then to me that just seems a little <laughs> a little odd that didn't even cross my mind at all come to think of it it was one of those things when i was watching it, i was like I kept noticing the earring, but for some reason, my brain never went there. I was like, I never went to the point of like, how'd they go through with this process? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the, like they seduce each other by wiping ice cream on each other's faces. Naturally. And just, you know, it's late at night, and her husband just happens to not be home. It's one of those, one of those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, plot conveniences. How... What nerve this guy has to question where she's at late at night, but then whenever she's boning a student, she doesn't question where he's at late at night? That's true. It's double standards. Come on, How man. dare he? <laughs> um, uh, overall, Ryan, uh, what would be your recommendation for people if they were interested in this one? I wouldn't personally recommend this movie. It's 
It's not bad. This isn't a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, there's nothing special about it. You know, this is, if this came out on Netflix, if this was a movie that was produced in 2019 and it's new and you just come across it on Netflix, sure, check it out. But like, this isn't something you need to go search for. You know, this movie's 25 years old. It's, it's from a different era. It, almost as soon as you watch, like, turn it on, uh, the music choices, the way characters dress, the way they, all, some of them, the way they talk, the the, the animated interludes, and, and, and all that. It's, if you are not familiar with those movies, this is not, this is going to feel very strange to you. But it does have good moments, like we talked about Jeffrey Tambor's character, the father, he's cool. The husband, uh, the Roy Mueller character, he's really good. Faber is is nice. But outside of those, there's not really, like, this is very bland to look at. There's nothing special about, you know, the score, soundtrack, acting, cinematography, direction, none of that. So I don't think I would recommend this to people. You stole the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I'm. It's one of those, honestly, if, if anyone out there, if you are interested in checking this out, I uh, I guarantee it. It's gonna be forgotten in a day or two, because again, there there was nothing really. The only creative standout are the the cartoon interludes, where it almost feels like it's uh, it almost feels it, it has almost that MTV sort of dating to it. I loved those moments because it, it sort of took me back to that kind of era. But again, if you weren't uh, you know if you weren't a kid or growing up in the '90s or even early 2000s. Yeah, this is going to feel very bland. Uh, but that also just comes with the cinematography, I think, too. There's nothing interesting about any of the shot, shot setup. The colors feel very muted. There's just nothing pleasing about it. Other than, you know, like we mentioned, the characters that we talked about. Yeah, if you are a fan of Christopher McDonald or anybody like Jeffrey Tambor or any of those, if you're a completion, I have some friends who are like, uh, actor completionists they need to go out and see every certain movie with those characters that'd be the only thing really other than that uh skip it <laughs> skip it yeah return it early <laughs> yeah yeah don't get a late fee on this one you would really be pissed so um all right guys that is that's our first month down holy shit back to school is done and uh, we're going to be sliding in next month for September. Brian, did you want to briefly mention kind of the movies that uh, we're going to be going into for September? All right. So Labor Day is in September. It's on September 7th this year. And usually, like Labor Day is supposed to like honor the workers, I do believe. I don't know. I didn't look into it. <laughs> um, but to keep it on brand, uh, I'm the co-host of Baby Project with my beautiful wife. And um, so to further that along, September is going to be a month of pregnancy baby movies. So we're like, we're going to do um, Barry Monday, uh, then um, The Brood, Hush, and then what was the last one? I can't remember. For Keeps. Oh, with, For Keeps. Yep. With, uh, yep. with old Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I, again, I've seen... Um, Barry Monday. So these other three are new ones to me. Cool. And I'm ho- I know Barry Monday we're going to have fun with because that's one of my favorite movies. Um, but the other ones, toss ups. 
Yeah, very much so. Or do you think uh, do you think any of them are going to fall into the category of a school spirit? <laughs> I, the only one I can think of coming close might be Hush, right. just because that's like the reading the synopsis. It's like um, Gwyneth Paltrow is a pregnant woman who goes and lives with her in law in the country, and like <laughs> she's crazy. So like maybe Excellent. that one, but. Uh, Awesome. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing the, to to renting these uh, movies. Absolutely, I'm right there with you, and I hope you listeners will join us for another wonderful month. Thank you for sticking with us this month, and as always, please have a good late night rental. Never open an umbrella indoors. It's bad luck.